0: Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Today, In our world, there is a hunger for genuine Christianity in the hearts of thousands. There's a longing for something more than what they have. And that hunger isn't merely for a church. That hunger is for a Bible-believing people. That hunger is for the living Christ and His truth. It's for a people that base their lives on the Word of God. And materialism has not satisfied, things can never satisfy the longing of the soul. We see that pleasure has not satisfied, entertainment can never satisfy the longing of the soul. We even know, as we're living in a technological age, that technology has not satisfied. The latest gadgets cannot satisfy the longing of the soul. Many people have this uh, illusion that they are connected with people in social networks through online social media, but despite that, they're more lonelier than ever. There is no satisfaction for the longing of the soul, but there is within each and every individual a longing within to know God. And we see that there is that hunger for the word of God. There's that hunger for Bible truth. Jesus said it well when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Friends, what we really desire, what people today all desire, is something that can satisfy them that nothing in this world can fulfill. It's only the Word of God that can bring that utmost satisfaction. And so what does the Bible teach about discovering God's truth for today? Does God have a church on earth today that is solidly grounded on the Bible? And I want to remind you of our theme that we have followed throughout our meetings night after night. It's, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. And I think that's a good motto, motto to follow. What do you say? Amen. Amen. So question number one, does God call a people on earth today his church? As you look down the history of the Christian church, God has always had a people proclaiming His truth to that generation. For instance, in the days of Noah, God had a special message for all humanity. Noah appealed to men and women to enter the ark of safety. And we see the majority, unfortunately, rejected God's call. But nevertheless, God still had a few faithful people who did enter the ark, and there was a call to step out of the majority. There was a call out of the popular masses. There was a call to take a step in faith. There was a call to get in the ark. And today, there is a call to obey God, and to get into God's ark of safety, his church. And we see that in the Old Testament, God called Abraham out of a popular majority. And let's take a look at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, page 23. And if you would grab a Bible at your table, and we're going to make sure that uh, we get participation every night. And so we are going to go table to table, and if your table is called, your table number, uh, please have someone ready to read when your table comes around and it's your turn. Uh, Due to the sake of time, we don't want to let time linger, (laughs) so we want to make things move smoothly. So don't be shy. I, I know that everyone here can read. <laughs> so, so just uh, read when it's your turn. If you're willing, a, vo- a willing volunteer, that's even better. But we're going to have each table read a verse each. So just uh, determine among yourselves who's going to read when it's your turn. Okay? So Genesis chapter 26, verse 2. Um, I'm going to read this one first. Um, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said... Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. God called Abraham out of the popular culture to follow him completely. Now, let's take a look at verse 5. This is where I I need someone to read. And we're going to have table number 3 is the earliest table. Um, Can I... Is Sal here? Because... I don't think anyone's working the camera right now. So uh, if someone can grab Sal. Thank you, John. Okay, so Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, page 23. And we're going to have someone read that in a moment, but we just need to make sure that the camera is running before we continue. So I apologize. Our usual camera person is not here. And so... Yes. Thank you, Sal. Okay, Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. And if we're all there, say amen. 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 Okay, so we're going to go ahead and take a look at verse 5. And table number 3 is up to read that for us. So if we can have table number 3, someone from that table read that. Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. Okay, so notice this text very clearly. I find it very interesting for those who say that there was no commandments before the time of Moses. But we see very clearly that God, when he called Abraham out of his father's homeland, he speaks this of Abraham. He says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so we see that Abraham obeyed God's voice when God called him out. He heeded to that call. He obeyed that call. And we see also God chose Moses to lead his people to be faithful to him and keep his commandments. In the days of ancient Israel, God called out a faithful, obedient group. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1 It says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His judgments, and His commandments. How often? Always. So we see that God always had a chosen people. In the days of Noah a people who loved God, kept His commandments, and got into the ark. In the days of Abraham, a people who loved God stepped out of the majority and kept His commandments. In the days of ancient Israel, a a people who loved God and kept His commandments, God called them His chosen, His special people. And we see in the days of the New Testament, Peter preached powerfully, 3,000 were baptized in the day of Pentecost, and we see that they too heeded the call and were now baptized. They stepped out and became God's special people to keep His commandments. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, page 1163, we'll have table number 4. Read that for us. It's page 1163. Let's all turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is one of my favorite texts that affirm who I am in Christ, who I am in God's sight. And you can also claim this for yourselves. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, page 1163. Thank you very much. And so we see that this verse says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special what? People. In the days of Noah, did God have a special people? Yes or no? Yes. In the days of Abraham, did God have a special people? Yes, he did. In the days of Moses, did God have a special people? Yes, he did. In the days of Peter, did he have a special people? Yes. And God's special people were always characterized by obedience. They loved him enough to obey him. They were carved out of the majority. They were a commandment-keeping people. And it says, furthermore, in this text, that you may proclaim the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God called them from darkness to light. From error To truth, from commandment breaking to commandment keeping. And question number two if I choose to follow God's truth, do I have to deny everything I believed in the past? And that's a very good question. You know, friends, when you take a step to follow truth and become God's commandment keeping people, you do not deny any truth you believed in the past. When when some people come to a series of meetings like this and they learn new truth, they go through this struggle. They discover new truths from God's word and it produces a conflict within themselves because it calls them to make a change. There's a battle in their mind. They wonder to follow new truth, will I have to deny everything I believed in the past? Certainly not. Absolutely not. Not. Look back at that past and say, praise God for that. Praise God for that past experience that he led me into. Every church has some truth, some light from God. While we may appreciate our past, though, we must commit ourselves to following all the truth that God has for us today. Amen? If you're brought up as a Methodist, or a Baptist, or a Pentecostal, why not say, Thank you, God, for that path that you've led me on. I will now accept further light because you have blessed me with further truth. And in taking this step to follow Jesus and become part of his special commandment-keeping people, you are not denying anything that was part of your past experience. You're just leaving off the errors that you've accepted because they were handed down to you. You're just leaving all the falsehoods that slipped into the church. You're just simply dropping off some baggage that may not be in harmony with God's word. And you're walking ahead in the fullness of truth. And friends, when you find the truth, you look for a church that teaches the truth. And when you found the truth of God's word in the Bible, then you find a church that squares up with the Bible and you may ask yourself how does the bible define the church and so let's take a look and allow the bible to answer that very question let's go to page 1141 1 timothy chapter 3 verse 15 1st timothy chapter 3 verse 15 page 1141 when you how does the bible define the church first timothy chapter 3 verse 15 page 1141 we want to get it from the bible not from my hearsay not from my words we want the bible to speak tonight especially tonight and so let's take a look at first timothy chapter 3 verse 15 how does the bible define the church and we're on table number six and do we have someone that's ready to read that for us in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the and the ground of truth. Wow. So based on this text, it says that the church is what? The church of the living God is what? It's the pillar and the ground of what? Truth. truth. So the Bible tells us that the church is the custo- custodian of truth. The church that Paul is speaking of here. Do you know which church that is? This church that Paul is speaking of, listen very carefully, is the apostolic church. It is the church that we must go back to. It is the church of the pure faith that lived entirely by the word of God, that kept all the commandments of God, that church truly was the pillar and the ground of truth. And we must go back to that church that Paul is speaking of. He's speaking of that church in the time of the apostolic church, the church of a pure faith, The church that followed the word of God entirely. The church that followed the word of God and kept all the commandments of God even at the cost of their own lives. That is the church that was truly the pillar and the ground of truth. And why is truth so important? We see in John chapter 17 verse 17 it says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? Truth. It's important, brothers and sisters, to find a church that teaches and upholds the whole truth, not partial truth, but the whole truth, because it is in that truth by which we are sanctified. And we need the complete truth as it is in Jesus. And we need to find a church that teaches the complete truth as shown in the Word of God. And question number three. How can I truly come to know the truth? Is it possible for me to actually discover truth? And how possible is it? Let's turn to John chapter 8, verse 32, page 1035. John 8, verse 32, page 1035. How can I truly come to the knowledge of the truth? To know the truth? Table number 5 is next to read for us. John 8:32, page 10:35. Okay, when you find it, please read it quickly. John 8 verse 32, page 10:35. How can I truly come to know the truth? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Did you hear that? Somebody says, and people today may say, we can't know the truth. It's not possible to know the truth. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you shall know the truth. So who's right? Jesus. Only Jesus can set us free. And He does it through the transforming power of His Word. There's no freedom like the freedom that Jesus gives us. Amen? And He frees us by His truth. We see, friends, when we come to God with an open mind, with a seeking spirit, with an honest heart, He will reveal truth to us. But, if we come locked in our own opinions, we will be unable to understand His truth. If we approach God's Word only desiring to prove our position, we will not discover His will. Our own thoughts will influence what we read in His Word. And if we say, Lord, Show me truth. Even if it is different from what I already believe, He then will reveal His truth to you. He will show us the truths of His Word. So friends, when we come to the Word of God, do not come with already preconceived ideas of what you think it's going to say or how you're going to interpret or impose what the meaning of the Bible says. We must approach the Word of God humbly and say, Lord, I am a humble, but a humble learner. Please show me truth, even if it goes against what I believe. That's the only safe way to be part of God's last day people, especially when deception will be rampant in the last days. We must allow the truth to be our guide, not our preconceived ideas of what we think it should be. Question number four. According to Revelation chapter 12... What would God's true church go through for the cause of truth? What did the early church think about the truth? Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. The book of Revelation describes God's faithful people who would cling to the truth at any cost. In Revelation chapter 12, it describes more clearly than any place in the Bible the history of the Christian church. It describes God's plan and people throughout the ages and Satan's vicious attacks in four distinct episodes. And it reveals to us, without a shadow of a doubt, the identifying characteristics of this special group of people called God's church today. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. The Bible begins in Revelation chapter 12 by describing a woman. A woman who appears in heaven the bride of Jesus Christ. And notice what a woman represents in Bible prophecy. And uh, since you're already at Revelation chapter 12, you don't have to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It's up there. But follow along as it's on the screen. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The Apostle Paul presents the church as Jesus' bride. And Revelation chapter 12 continues to the description of the battle between good and evil. Let's look at verse 9 of chapter 12, and we're going to have table 7, someone from table 7 read that for us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Okay, so very clearly we see this battle takes place. We see what is the result of this battle. We see in the first episode, in Revelation chapter 12, we see that Satan rebels against God in heaven. And we see as the episode progresses, but Christ wins, Satan loses. Satan is cast out of heaven. In episode one, God is victorious. And now we move on to episode number two. Centuries pass by. And we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. If we could have table number 8, someone can read that for us, please. Same chapter, verse 4 and 5, episode 2. He filled a third of the stars of the heaven and drew them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the
1: woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was
0: born. Okay. Um, let's, let's just pause there for a moment we see that Satan is a dragon right and Satan's now focusing his efforts to destroy the child who's the child Jesus right so the devil's angry he's standing before the woman he's ready to devour and to destroy this child right go ahead and continue Okay, so did Satan try to destroy Jesus when he was born? Yes. Yes. And we see how this happened. Herod passed a decree that all male children be killed. And we see that Revelation chapter 12 goes on to say, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. You're all familiar with this story. You know that the Holy Family fled to Egypt. God preserved them there. Satan couldn't destroy Christ. And we see later on in the wilderness, years later, Satan appears as an angel of light, tempting Jesus in hopes of destroying him. And again, Jesus is triumphant and he wins, Satan loses. On the cross, Satan tries to destroy Christ, but our Lord triumphs again. And he says, into into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he committed himself to the Father. And he went into the grave and was raised from the dead. What does Revelation 12, 5 says? It says, Her child was caught up to God and his throne. His mission of salvation is accomplished. Jesus ascends to heaven. And so Satan tries to destroy Jesus, but what happens? Christ wins, and Satan loses. God provided a way of safety. Now we move on to episode number three. We see that now Satan turns his wrath on the followers of Christ, the woman, the Christian church. And we see all, as history tells us, and tradition tells us, all but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. And Satan attacks the church. And we see the church and state united in the days of Constantine and following. And for a while, the church enjoys the state's Favor and unusual popularity, then persecution followed. As church and state united, Satan attacked, fearlessly, uh, fear, fierce, fiercely persecuting the true members of God. And what does Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, say? We're going to have table number 9 read verse 6 for us. This woman is being attacked and fiercely persecuted. And what takes place next. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, page 1182. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they,
1: should, that they should feed her there 1,260
0: days. Okay, thank you. So when Satan attempted to destroy the church in the dark ages, the woman, the church fled into where? The wilderness. And it says that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. 1,260 days. Remember, we talked about this. In Bible prophecy, we know that a prophetic day equals a literal year. Based the Bible basis for this understanding is found in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, and Numbers 14, verse 34. That's the rules of prophetic interpretation. When it's talking about a prophetic day, we know that to mean a literal year. So we see that 1260 days is 1260 literal years that this church was in the wilderness during this time. The popular church and state have united, but we see that God's true church had fled into the wilderness during this time. And as we studied in previous lectures, the Dark Ages began in 538 to 1798, which is exactly this time period that prophecy speaks of. 1260 years. We see that God's true church during this period of time was in the wilderness. Faithful men and women clung to the truth of God's word in seclusion. The reformers during this time were persecuted for their faith. We also see during this time God had faithful men and women whose minds were bound by the principles of God's word. And although Satan tries to destroy Christ's church, we see that Christ again wins and Satan loses. Because we see at the end of the wilderness period, it brings us to 1798, with the capture of Pope of the Pope by Napoleon's general Berthier, who came and took him into captivity, and he died while in captivity. And so we see that the prophecy then becomes more fascinating. Sometime after 1798, God would raise up his end-time people at about this time, around 1798 afterwards. And so just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Abraham, In the days of Moses, God would have a special commandment-keeping people. Like in the days of the New Testament and the Dark Ages, God will have a special commandment-keeping people that will remain faithful to him. Question number five. Does Revelation give a description of God's end-time people in the last days? And so the book of Revelation describes the identifying characteristics of God's last day people in these words. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. We're on table number 10. And so we'll, this is page 1182. 1182, Revelation 12, 17. What does the Bible describe God's last day people to be like? Let's read... Revelation 12, verse 17, 11.82. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the
1: commandments of God, and have the
0: testimony of Jesus. Thank you. So we see, thus is the description of this end-time church, who keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus. We see that Abraham, according to the Bible, kept God's commandments. Moses kept God's commandments. The Israelites kept God's commandments. The New Testament church kept God's commandments. And the book of Revelation describes the bride of Christ as a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, grace-filled movement that keeps the commandments of God. And here are the characteristics that identify this church. It says that they keep the commandments of God. That includes all ten of the commandments, including the one regarding the Sabbath. And we also see that the next characteristic is that they have the testimony of Jesus. So they keep the commandments of God. God will raise up people who love him so much that they are willing to obey him Even in the face of death. In the heart of God's Ten Commandment law, we see the very basis for worship. We worship God because we are His creatures and He is the Creator. (coughs) The Sabbath command leads us to worship Him supremely as the Creator of heaven and earth. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10. (coughs) Excuse me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10, page 71. And table 11. If we could have someone there read that for us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10, page 71. Okay, that's great. We'll just stop right there. I know there's a lot more. But we see that this commandment, the fourth commandment, Regarding the Sabbath, describes a commandment-keeping people descri- as described in Revelation that keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Here are the people of the new covenant. God says of them in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. In other words, God's commandment keeping people in the last days are those who sense God's ten laws. His ten commandments are really happy ways to live. They describe life at its best. God's people in the last days are not some super saints. They are weak, they falter, they make mistakes, but God has placed His law in their mind so that they will know it and in their hearts, so that they will love it. And so we see that Revelation chapter 12 describes this last day people as having two characteristics. They, number one, keep the commandments of God. Number two, have the faith of, or have the testimony of Jesus. And so what is then the testimony of Jesus. What is this all about? Well, let's let the Bible define what the testimony of Jesus is. And so to know what the testimony of Jesus is, we go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. And I don't have the page number, I apologize. But Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, here tells us what the definition of the testimony of Jesus is. So Revelation 19, verse 10, and I believe we're on table number 12. If you could have someone from table number 12 read that for us, please, so that we know what the testimony of Jesus is. Thank you, Beverly. It says, they have the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? The verse that Beverly just read says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 12 says that the bride of Christ is a Bible-believing church that loves Jesus, that keeps his commandments, and also, furthermore, has the testimony of Jesus, which we just discovered is the spirit of of prophecy, God's last day people will be guided by the gift of prophecy. The Bible talks about the prophetic gift in God's last day church. In 1 Corinthians chapter one verse seven, it says, "So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church waiting for the coming of Jesus." will come behind in no gift, and one of the gifts that the spirit is, the, the, one of the gifts of the spirit is the gift of prophecy. If the gift of prophecy was needed in the first century church to guide it and to protect it from error, it will be certainly needed in the last day church, Would't you say? And we see that all the gifts of the spirit will be manifest in God's church. God's church will be a spirit-filled church, a powerful church. We will see miraculous healings from time to time in God's church, if God so chooses. He'll bless it with unusual prophetic insight, and there will be dramatic breakthroughs. The Holy Spirit will be poured out, and thousands will become part of this spiritual, his spiritual community. God's church is a spirit-filled church that impacts all. Also, the world. Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world. So this church will be a worldwide body committed to Christ and obedient to his word. You all know this text, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. All nations were to become a Bible-believing, grace-filled, commandment-keeping, Sabbath-keeping, Spirit-empowered movement. And he goes further to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In every age, God would have a people who will respond to his grace, who will commit their lives to him and obediently follow him in the watery grave in baptism. They become part of his church, a special called out people who are committed to follow his truth. And Revelation describes this special last day movement. Catch the significance of this. Let your heart beat with excitement as Revelation describes this last day movement. We see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Pause right there. Is this a little non-denominational movement that describing? is describing? It, is it talking about a local church on a nearby corner of our town? No, it's talking about A worldwide, global movement, isn't it? It is preaching the gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, isn't it? And it says, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. We're going to recap this really quickly. What does it mean to fear God? We covered this before. Does it mean to be afraid of God? Does it mean to be quivering and trembling and our knees knocking when we are thinking of God and His name? No, it means to reverence Him, to respect Him at such a time as this. And how do we give glory to God? We covered this as well. How do we give glory to God? To glorify God means that we honor Him in both how we live and both in our diet and lifestyle because 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Whatever you eat or drink or do, do all to the glory of God. And what does 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 say? It says, Know you not that you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And we should do this Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. The message flying in the midst of heaven represents a church, a movement which calls men and women to the fact that we are accountable to God for our actions. In an age of irresponsibility, God is calling for moral responsibility. He's calling for obedience. And God's final message for mankind declares the hour of his judgment has come, and this is a special time that we're living in in Earth's history. No more business as usual, no more pleasures as usual. The hour of God's judgment has come. And the message continues Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Who is that? The Creator. God's final call is a call to worship the Creator. And we see that the Sabbath is so special in that regard. Because the Sabbath is part of God's last day message. It is a call to come apart every Sabbath, every seventh day to worship God. And all this is part of the end time message. All this is part of an urgent message. All this is part of a last day message for God's last day movement for today. And God invites us to be part of this last day movement. He invites us to be part of a special people. A worldwide communion that is keeping God's commandments It is a Bible-based movement. It is a Sabbath-keeping Adventist movement. And don't be embroiled in teachings, friends, that are incompatible with the Christ of Scripture. And so, in summary, we see that God's true church will meet the identifying characteristics of the true church found in Revelation chapter 12. We learn that, number one, recapture the pure faith of the disciples, this church will. And my heart longs to recapture the faith of the disciples. This is more than denominationalism. It's recapturing the Bible truths that have been lost sight of. And number two, God's church will have two characteristics according to Revelation chapter 12. It will keep the commandments of God, all ten of them. And it will be guided by the gift of prophecy. And the Seventh-day Adventist church qualifies on both accounts. And we see, number three, it will be a worldwide mission-driven movement. It will be a movement that goes to every nation, kindred, tongue, and every people. It will be a movement that accepts both men and women of all races, all languages, all creeds. A movement that does not believe that God is the God of any one race of people. But it will be a worldwide movement the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the largest international Protestant mission movement in the world in over 200 countries listed by the United Nations. And number four, this church will call people to total commitment to Christ. It'll be a movement that says, Fear God. It calls men and women to total commitment to Jesus Christ. And it will lead people to the Bible Sabbath. It'll be a movement that leads people to accept God's last day Bible Sabbath and worship the Creator. That commandment that has been so long forgotten, that commandment that begins with the word remember, has to be brought again to the forefront. And the law of God in its entirety must be restored for its significance. And we see number six, this church will encourage people to give their bodies to Him. To give up alcohol, tobacco, unclean foods, anything that is detrimental to our well being, for our bodies. It'll be a movement that says, Fear God and give glory to Him. And we see number seven, it'll make a final appeal to accept truth. I am a Seventh day Adventist because I have honestly studied the Bible and looked at the facts of Scripture at a time of uncertainty and doubt in my own Christian experience. And we see that I want to be a part of a church that is Bible-based. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is. I want to be part of a church that teaches salvation is not by works, but by grace. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church upholds Jesus Christ. And, we, and I want to be a part of a movement that follows in the footsteps of, footsteps of Bible heroes like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, and John, keeping God's commandments and doing His will. The Seventh-day Adventist church does. I want to be a part of a movement that understands that our bodies are the temple of God that houses the Holy Spirit A movement that calls us to glorify God in our bodies because we are physical, mental, and spiritual beings. What we put in our bodies affects our spiritual life. And I want to be part of a movement that calls men and women, just like Christ did when he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Just like the Ten Commandments say, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. I want to be part of a movement that I can look at the book of Revelation honestly. I don't have to dodge texts. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist movement. I'm part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement because it is a prophetic movement that the Bible foretells of and that the Bible says that we must be a part of. The Seventh-day Adventist church movement is going powerfully throughout the entire world. Let me give you some examples. In 2014, a very exciting satellite evangelistic series was held in Kigali, Rwanda. An unprecedented number of 10,000 people were baptized. However, in May of 2016, more than 100,000 people were baptized as a result of 2,227 evangelistic meetings held throughout the country. And this has been the largest evangelistic event and baptism in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church and one of the largest in the history of the Christian church. Praise the Lord for that. And what made the difference? God's people were mobilized to prepare to preach 2,227 evangelistic meetings all at the same time across the country of Rwanda. And God's people were inspired by a new church initiative, Total member involvement that involves all members in the spreading of the gospel message. Lives were changed and, brought, and the Holy Spirit's power was felt in a powerful way all across Rwanda, which was also known as the Switzerland of Africa. The gospel message has brought hope and joy in Jesus to its people. Interest in Bible truth has been so great that currently 1,000 one day churches are being built to accommodate the new members. God works, even though his people may not be the most popular, well known. Question number six How do I know whether the church I choose is the right church? There's a man who was raised in Russia. And he came to the United States in hopes of becoming a citizen. In his desire to blend in and to be a good American, he tried to conform to as many customs as possible. And he asked a fellow American one day, he says, what do Americans eat for breakfast? And his friend responded, well, most people eat cereal. So the Russian immigrant headed to the nearest supermarket, and asked the clerk where he could find the cereal. And the clerk directed him to an aisle longer than an airport terminal and said, take your pick. (laughs) Endless stacks of cereal of all descriptions and colors lined both sides of the aisles. There was hot cereal, cold cereal, big boxes, little boxes, children's cereal, cartoon characters on the front, or athletes advertising prizes inside some cereal was almost pure sugar some had no sugar there was instant cereal multi-grain fiber flakes you name it for over an hour the man wandered aimlessly up and down the aisle not knowing what cereal to choose he was completely dazed by the vast selection of just cereal and i want to ask you how Do you choose the right (laughs) cereal? We do not choose the right cereal based on the eye-catching color of the box, do we? We do not pick the cereal based on the cartoon character design on the cover, do we? We don't pick the cereal based on how popular the brand is, do we? We do not pick the cereal based on whether there's a prize inside the box, do we? Unless our kids say, Daddy, please. But how should we choose the right cereal? The way that we choose the right cereal is that we have to look at the ingredients. That's what really matters. Read what's in the ingredients. Amen? Amen. And so, how do you choose the right church? It's not based on eye catching design of the church building. It's not based on whether or not there's a charismatic or highly educated pastor over that church. It's not based on how popular or trendy that church is, or whether it's a mega church. It's not based on whether they offer great music or children's program, or they offer you perks for joining. You've got to ask yourself, what's in the ingredients? what does that church believe how much of the bible are they following are they in harmony with all the teachings of the bible or are they living and are they living by all the truth that the bible reveals that is what really matters friends that should be the basis for what church we ought to choose read what's in the ingredients and friends we see that god's church is not in the majority you can never base truth on a majority vote Did the majority go into the ark or were they outside the ark? The majority was outside. In the days of Jesus, did the majority say, take that man off the cross, or did the majority say, crucify him? Most of the time, friends, the majority has not always been right when it comes to understanding Bible truth. God's church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. Truth is truth whether religious leaders accept it as truth or not. The truth is the truth whether you like it or not. And every time there's a series of meetings like this, people come to the meetings. The Spirit of God is working in their hearts and they're discovering these new truths from the Bible. And what do they do? They get a little troubled. And then they go to their religious leaders and they try to ask them about the truths that they're learning. And the real issue is not what some religious leader thinks. The real issue is, what is in God's Word? Are you a truth seeker, friends? Deep within your heart, do you long for the truth? Are you seeking for a worldwide movement that follows all of God's Word? Maybe as you've been coming to these meetings, there's been a struggle with what you have previously believed and the new truths that you're learning. You're convicted about the truths you have found, you sense the Holy Spirit is leading you, would you like to say today, Jesus, today I'm going to give up that battle and open up my heart to walk in your truth. I'm going to take that step to follow you. And it's not often easy to make that step. I understand that. But when God calls you, you must follow. There is no other alternative but to follow the convictions that the Spirit places upon your hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, truth beckons you to follow it. Why not make your decision tonight to follow the truth of God's Word all the way? Why not make that decision right now? There's an unparalleled joy when we decide to follow God's truth completely. God invites you, sitting here tonight, to make that decision right now. I've never met a person who said, I wish I would have waited before making my decision for Christ. Nobody says that. I've met many people who've said, I wish I had responded years ago. This is your hour. This is your moment. And tonight, we have a very important decision card that will give you one more opportunity to express your heart's desire to Christ. And if you would, take that card in your hand and think of all you've learned. Friends, it it isn't an accident that you are here tonight. God has brought you here. Jesus has spoken to your heart over the past several weeks. And tonight's study, when it all comes together, Jesus is asking you to make this final decision tonight, Jesus is leading a people all around the world. He's calling you to be part of that movement. What will be your answer to Him? Thank mm-hmm. you. I'd like you to take your card. I'd like you to take your card and let's look at this card together as we make decisions tonight. The first, number one, but before we go into this, make sure your name's on this card, by the way. Number one, it says, it is clear to me from Bible prophecy that Jesus will have an end-time church that reflects his pure, loving character and tells the world of his soon return. You've been studying for many nights now. And so if that is something that you believe in, put a check mark on number one. Number two, I believe that God's end time church will be based on the faith of Jesus, the fullness of, the, of Bible truth and keeping all 10 commandments. If you believe that and you feel that the Holy Spirit is confirming that to you based on what we've been studying thus far, put a check mark in number two. Number three, I believe the Seventh day Adventist church meets these identifying marks of God's end time church as found in the Bible. Your friends, there's those two distinct characteristics that clearly identify who that church is. There's no other church that I can think of on earth that fits that. If there is, I want to know about it. But we see that very clearly based on what Scripture shows and what prophecy reveals, there's only one. And if you see that, that's very clear to you. Put a check mark There. Number four, out of my love for Jesus, I desire to stand for God's truth and join God's end-time Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you want to choose the right church to be part of the end-time remnant church that Bible prophecy speaks of? You can. All you have to do is say, Lord, I will go where your truth is found and follow your truth all the way. You could put a check mark in that box. In the last box, I desire to follow Jesus through baptism or rebaptism. There's probably some of you here tonight that have never been baptized. Or some of you that have been baptized, but your walk with God has been drifting away and you've turned your back on Him and you want to turn back to Him. Or maybe it could be the fact that you have discovered new truth that you've never discovered before and you want to accept wholeheartedly the truth revealed clearly in God's word and you want to be baptized if you fit any of those three things put a check mark on number five I'm going to have my wife sing the last stanza and I want you to just I would like no talking during this time Because this is a very solemn time. This is a time that we should only allow the Holy Spirit to speak to every individual here tonight. want the Bible to be your source of faith and practice tonight you know friends I want to recommend to you this book this book is a tremendous gift from a God who loves us and he desires for a last day people who will follow everything every precept every word in this book if your life is not in line with this book, you need to ask yourself, why not? What is preventing me from completely following every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Because it has eternal destinies at stake. Those who actually will make it during the end time are those those who will make it through the deceptions have made the Bible their safeguard. Those who can expose truth from error have used the Bible as the sword to determine what is right and what is wrong. What is truth? What is error? What is light? What is darkness? But if we choose to remain in the darkness, what more can God do? Brothers and sisters, I recommend this book to you. This is the book that will help us Till Jesus comes. And I pray and I beg of you conform your life to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's the only way that is the purpose for why we are here. The purpose for our life is to be God's children. And his love letter speaks to us tonight as it has every night that we've met together. How many of you today would like to say, Lord, thank you for your word. I desire to follow you all the way. Is that your desire tonight? If so, would you stand courageously to affirm that? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that the Word of God we have in our possession came at a price, came at a cost by the blood of many in the past who laid down their lives for the truth as it is in Jesus. To allow that word to be able to be preserved throughout history, to be in our very hands this moment. And Lord, forgive us for shunning that word. Forgive us for discrediting that word for dismissing that word, for turning to other things of this world instead of your word. Lord, we need your very word in our lives because it's through that word that we can be truly transformed and changed and to be more like you, to truly be called the children of God. Lord, you see us standing here tonight I pray that you'll please work on each of every, each and every one here in their life that they will know the truth and by your grace follow it till the very end till you come bless us tonight lord we pray till we meet again in Jesus name amen